Rondo, welcome, mate. Yeah, episode three. Right. Mate. It feels like 10. Big news today. Obviously, the rugby league, it looks like May 28th, they are a lock. But even bigger news is the sad state of affairs at Australian rugby and Rayland Castle has resigned. Well, Barnsley, where do you want to start? I think we touched on uh, a couple of weeks ago that I think probably the first catalyst was when you start to see News Corp Press led by one of their, I suppose, paid contributors, Alan Jones, who's got a big voice in Australian radio and Australian you know, general affairs and sport ex-Wallaby coach, came out a couple of weeks ago and went to town on the whole setup uh, in an article, I can't remember which paper, I think it might have been The Australian. I think, uh, you know, you know, I don't think the facts were exactly right, but I think we had a conversation on maybe our first podcast, that was probably, unfortunately, the last nail in the coffin for Raylene. It's been quite, I think, been. up until I the shocked. news. I was, I was actually shocked today, Condo, because I thought... You know, with two weeks had gone by where we last spoke about this, I thought she'd survived it all. Even though that, you know, all the um, everything that was coming out at the time was um, signalling the death knell, so to speak. But you've been quiet, and then all of a sudden last night, like a sledgehammer, it comes down, and I was shocked. I was gutted because. What do you think was the catalyst? I've got to admit, it's no doubt the captain's letter. And I can tell you what, I'm no captain, but there's no way I would have signed it. I understand that they want to have a voice and people that are passionate about rugby want to have a voice because we're all disappointed. We're disappointed where the game is. It's quite obvious coming out of last year's World Cup that there's been some really good things put in place, which Raylene has been behind. I think we've probably assembled, time's got to, you know, we've got to see the results, but I think uh, there's a very good coaching staff there. Dave Rennie, Scott Wisemanel, Taylor, Scott Johnson running the Pathway Program, which has been revitalised. So there were some really good signs. I think, unfortunately, and I think you're probably on the money, the catalyst with the 10 captains has come about. And I think the big thing that's been lacking for everybody in rugby is a bit of patience. Patience and solutions. That that letter from the 10 captains shows no solutions. None. Zero. And that's what the biggest disappointing thing was. They obviously have gone hard at, hard at Raylene's leadership and the entire board. And there's no bigger, I suppose, supporter of Australian rugby than Paul McLean. The guy's been on every level. He's a, obviously a wonderful player. He's been on every level all the way through. You know, they've gone at him too. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm gutted in many respects. Well, if you go through Raylene's watch, all right, she's been there the best part of three years. She inherited an absolute basket case, as in yep. a financial basket case. I challenge any CEO globally to pull out page 57 of how to deal with the Israel situation. I mean, that was a really challenging situation. They report a $9.4 million loss this year, and everyone wants to point at the fact that that was a terrible result because Raylan signed off on paying Israel out. Just Let's just talk about that loss for starters. They lose that every year of a World Cup. So 219, 9.4. They lost the same amount in 215, and they lost the same again again in 2000, more in 2011. So they lose... That same amount every year during a World Cup, that's not Raylene's leadership. That's just the simple economic factors of the game. Yeah, and I think a few things that need to be put straight is the coaching staff that they've assembled, I think in the present scope of world rugby, when you're going out and you're going, okay, who are the best people we can get? I think this is where, you know, Alan Jones's article, he's gone to town on Australian rugby in recent years trying to, I suppose, follow the New Zealand lead. Well, he went to town, mate, but he went to town on Dave Rennie too. Now, and he basically said... He's a, a puppet for Wayne Smith. Wayne Smith is a great coach. No, his quote was, he's done nothing. He's not a winner. Yeah, okay. Which well, is an absolute load of crap. Let's just get a few facts straight with the Chiefs that won those two titles back in 2012, 2013. Well, he won three under 20 World Cups prior. His record speaks for itself, but just in terms of his coaching, like Wayne Smith can take a lot of credit for it, as can Tom Coventry, the Ford's coach. But Dave Rennie was the head coach, the leader of the attack through that. And can someone tell me if the Chiefs can't attack? 
They were one of the best attacking sides during that period and through his leadership. And then not just that, they've signed some of the best, some would say up-and-coming young talent and proven talent in terms of their assistant coaching. Like Scott Wiseman, obviously the England assistant coach, has been on just about every every level from schoolboys to the top. So he's seen it all. Uh, Matt Taylor, done a great job with the Reds when they won the title. Scotland. Went to Scotland, was part of their team at a couple of World Cups. Right, and then not just that, but off the field, Chris Webb is a manager, proven track record there, and their, their S&C is the best I've come across in John Pryor and Dean Benton. So, look, Raylene's got to take, she has to take some credit for assembling that cast. And if everyone's going to ride the coattails of these guys going forward, then that's what I'm most disappointed about. Well, let's be clear here as well. She, from all reports, she was a couple of days, maybe a week from signing what has been reported a very good TV deal. Now, I would not think any CEO in their right mind would have gone out without the board's direction to move, potentially move away from Foxtel. So the Foxtel deal was 57 mil. So she obviously thought that they could parcel up shoot shield and a few other you know different directions for the game and get a better outcome and prior to unfortunately this virus which has obviously hit the world in a massive way but especially the Australian sporting landscape it's really had a big impact we've had Greenberg go this week now Raylene unfortunately so that was a 57 million dollar deal the current deal so she was close on that you know my understanding is that Volantis who's getting a lot of credit for how he's handled the NRL situation is close to signing an extended deal at 320 25 million less than the previous deal. So the previous deal was 1.8. You know, let's be real here. Like, it's not... The, the problems with rugby is not Rayleigh Castle. They're, they're, they're way bigger. Paul McLean's come out today and made... I think he's spoken really well and and he's showed a lot of compassion for Raylene's situation that he had concerns that she has been bullied in the press, social media and, you know, every other form of, of uh, I suppose, online media and that the board had to think about potential plans because he sort of was starting to form a view that she might not hang in and she might just walk in and say, look... I've had enough. He's quoted as saying she's worked the last 40 days straight and ridiculous hours. I think how it's been handled and the catalyst, I think it's fine for everybody to have an opinion, especially ex-captains. But you know what? Bring solutions to the table. And they've, they've had none. So, Kondo, I suppose... We've got to talk solutions too, mate. What's all said and down, Raylene's gone. There's nothing we can do about it. Where to from here? Where do we go? Put your Australian Wallaby captain's hat on. How do you lead us out of here? Uh, I think bringing you out of retirement is not an option. Okay, so that's the first thing we need to clear up. I don't think it's that hard, okay? I think, number one, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago. I think the way the ARU has been run and the financial budgets have been top-down, it needs to revert to bottom-up. So if they've been ripping up, or sorry, when I say ripping up, spending, but ripping up a fair bit of it, of 120 to 140 a year, mil, we're talking, that's a lot of money, across the franchises, that's been predominantly at the top end. So if we reverse that, We have to get grassroots right. We have to get into public schools. We can't continue to go back to the same well of talent continually for the last 100 years, which has been Brisbane and Sydney private schools. It's just not happening. I'd go as far as to say we've neglected them as well. There's well, now there's well, AFL posts up at Riverview. Well, there's you know, Nudgy's playing every different sport. Like, you've got to look at it and go, we've got away from them too, not just going into new areas. We've got to actually touch on the places we've let down too. Okay, well, 100%, but we've got to expand. I mean, yeah. what, 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 what is the AFL doing? They expand every year. They're into new yeah. markets. They're, they're looking at ways they've of expanding. Got, they've got the money to do it, though. We if, don't have the money. Well, we did have. Yeah, all right. We did have. It doesn't mean we can't get it right. Uh, you've got to get the bottom up right. I think we've got Scott Johnson is the right person. I mean, he's shown at Scotland that he can get the pathways right. He can 
get the high performance right. I know one of his charters is to get the Super 15 sides, whether it remains sort of Super 15, but even if it remains domestic or trans-Tasman, get them on the same page. Get into each franchise. Start developing the talent. Start bringing them into communities so they're not disaligned with communities and it's not seen as an aloof sport. I think that's the second thing. The third thing, I think we've assembled a really good national coaching team and that will dribble down to 20s, 18s, 16s. And then the last thing is part of Scotty's, Scotty Johnson's um, mandate is to foster that talent that has been lost to other sports. So not signing guys on six-month, 12-month deals. You know, actually taking a bit of, bit of a punt at 16, 18, 20. I mean, last year, 18s and 20s made the World Cup finals. All right? So oh, yeah. the, the talent is there. So let's actually invest, like AFL, like NRL, if they're the lead sports in the Australian landscape, let's actually invest and take a bit of a punt and say, righto, we've got Rennie, We've got Wisemantle, we've got Taylor, we've got the S&C. They're signed for four years. Go to the next level. We've got 20s, we've got 18s, we've got 16s. Those kids, the best, let's say, I don't know, six, eight, ten kids in each of those age groups, they're signed for four years. You've got a future. Then you go to bottom up and you drill down into public schools, private schools, clubs. Can you get those schools to similar to the competition that was run here locally where you actually align them to a club. You know what I mean? So they run a club and try and align it with them where those clubs go out and help those schools. And then you get players to finish school and then come and play Look, I think in the rural areas. Let's say here in our community, all right? Yeah. So if you go to any of the um, public or, or um, Catholic primary schools, you go to any of the Catholic or public high schools and you play for Ballina, Bangalore, Wallingbar, Lennox Head, who do they want to aspire to that's coming out of that area? The last kid that came out of this area that sort of kicked on have been kids like Sam Croke, Lockie Cray. They've gone down to Sydney. I'll played. stop you here, but look at Isaac Rodder. He's playing for Isaac Rodder, 100%. Yeah. Jake McIntyre. There you go, Jake well McIntyre. Like there's, there's a few 100%. Guys so, yeah. so if those guys stay in the setup, you know, whether it's Shoot Shield or the equivalent in Brisbane, and then kids have got heroes to aspire to, that's what you need. So if you go down to, from an NRL perspective, you know, if you go down to Suncorp or you go down to Brookvale or you go to Melbourne Storm at Amy Stadium, who, are you, you know, you watch Billy Slater, you watch watch uh, Darius Boyd, you watch, you know, Jamie Lyon when he was at Manly, you know, you've actually got something to pin your hopes to of, you know, one day I want to be, and I think that's one of the big things that rugby is missing. So scaling back into a lot more focus on shoot shield and that sort of domestic feel and super 15, I don't know, I think it's, it's got to be revamped in some, some form or, you know, like big time. So, Kondo, on that note, if there's one organisation that has got it right over the last 15 years, it's a Melbourne Storm. And our next guest on the podcast, Frank Panisi, you know him well and you have actually coached under him. Uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to spend a little bit of time a long time ago with Frank. I think there's no doubt the Melbourne Storm have had a couple of things in their favour, as in that they've obviously worked incredibly hard with, is they've been very consistent in their, their approach. They've had a lot of stability. Frank has been a big part of that, obviously, with Craig Craig Bellamy. Welcome, Frank. So, Frank, I suppose where we want to start is um, current position at Melbourne Storm? Yeah, it's called the General Manager of Football. General Manager That's of Football. Geez, you've come yeah. a long way from uh, SG Ball coach at, uh, at the North Sydney Bears. Uh, assistant coach too, yeah. Were you assistant coach what? then? Yeah, your brother was the coach. I was just the assistant. Oh, you didn't even have the top job? No, not even that. So I've come a long way. So I suppose uh, if you take us back to your academy days, firstly, just wanted to touch base on um, 
sort of how you developed that, I suppose, from coaching junior, just that real passion for NRL in particular. I know you've crossed the fence a couple of times and spent a bit of time in rugby, but um, is that where it really came about, down at the academy in Narrabah? Oh, probably just before then. I, I kind of had a frustrated uh, playing career as, as a junior. I kept getting injured. So when I was a, a young bloke, I was, I was out of the game for 18 months, so a, a father of Blake that I used to play with suggested I coach a junior team uh, at, at our old club, and so that was about mid eighty. And um, I was finding out that I was probably a better coach than player, so I decided to go that route. And then, yeah, so the, the academy days just helped me along. And I was very fortunate because I got the opportunity to mix with a lot of first-grade coaches. They used to bring their teams down in Arabian for camps, and I used to get around all the clubs. So because I wasn't a threat, I, I worked for the rugby league academy. So I, I'd get in all the training sessions, team meetings. So I picked up a Norse man only a couple of years. It was just a great opportunity. Frank, tell us about some of the coaches you would have seen back then, mate, I suppose, during your time there at the academy. Oh, probably Brian Smith, uh, who was at St. George at the time, Barry. That, that was probably, he used to bring his team a fair bit down there. And of course, I had a lot to do with Manly coming through. Uh, so it was different cases of Manly. Eventually, Bozo, who had a lot to do with later on. So when you were at the academy, was Bozo the Manly coach at the time? Not early on. No, he was the Australian coach. And uh, ah. Manly, yeah, Manly had Graham Lowe, and then they had uh, Bozo after that. Had a little bit to do with Canberra. So I went down, you know, saw Tim Shoons, and as I said, just to be able to see so many coaches work and operate, it was uh, very good. Chris Anders is another one at the Bulldogs at the time, yeah. so they're all flushing back. Mate, what were some, I suppose, the differences? Like, I look back on those kind of the halcyon days of rugby league when you have, you know, you talk about names of Sheen, Smith, Anderson, guys who, um, and even Bozo, to a massive extent, changed rugby league and the way it was played. What were some of the key, I suppose, aspects of each of those coaches that you learned? Oh, man management, Barrett. I, I think, yeah. you know, they've all got their different styles in terms of the you know, their tactical, their philosophies on, on the way the game's played, even the way they train, you know, they, they were different. Of course, there's always similarities, but, but just their man management skills, how they got it, got the, the best out of their players, I think, you know, it was, was outstanding. They didn't have the same time they had with players they do today. Cause the game was professional back then in the early 90s. Uh, players still work or semi-work, semi-professional. Yeah. So they didn't have the time, but so the ability to get the best out of the players. I think the other thing, too, I think the players were a little bit different, and now it's not to compare players because all eras are different, but players were probably a, a little bit more self from light in those days. The really good players did a lot more on their own. I remember now watching Des Hasler doing all the experts he would do on his own. Just mind-blowing. I was just thinking, there was a story of him once. They were driving a bus past, um, I don't know, the M1, and he was down there. He'd set up hurdles on the side of the road and was doing hurdles as a warm-up prior to going to the game to play. Mate, the stories of Des are renowned. Have you got any crackers? Actually, not, not as a player, but when he took over, Des and I worked together at Manly oh, mid to late 90s, and he was the, uh, one of the strength and conditioning coach. His motto to some of the big boys who used to work the extras is, if you're going to have a spew, just keep spewing, but just keep moving. Don't don't stop when you spew. <laughs> that was his motto. <laughs> so you'd see the bloke, he'd smash them up the hill as long as they kept moving, and they were spewing on the run. And and there was another one. He used to love the Ergo, the old Ergo down at Brookvale. We had a little gym down there, and he'd have a bucket ready for the blokes to spew as, as they uh, came off. So he was... He used to get him to the point of yeah vomiting. It was just he was in, in another league. Uh, was that a was that a development role with the I suppose then the the NRL or was it down at Narrabah? Uh, it was. It was the, the 1990. They set up. It was the good old days. That's when the game was starting to really flourish, and the Tina Turner ads yeah, were oh, exploding. Yeah. And they built up a brand new academy at Narrabah, and they stuck a few development officers down there, and a few in the bush. And uh, actually, one up your way, Brian Batiste. Yeah, Brian Batiste. Yeah, still teaches yeah, a woodland. Uh, yeah, Nobby was the Northern Rivers development officer based at Lennox Head. We had many a great camp there up at uh, Lake Ainsworth. Yeah, <laughs> some great camps. Every September, you ran the great camp. Yep, there. That's and, where uh, the Warriors are going to come into, Frank. Well, apparently, so I was speaking to this. 
footy manager today. It's still not, not over the line yet. There's still a few uh, things we've got to do, but there's a bit of a scoop for you. That's not yeah. over the line yet just yet. Uh, yeah, uh, okay. So, yeah, it was a great day at the academy. Did you move from there straight to Manly? Uh, I did 95. Yeah, I was very, very fortunate at 94 with Bozo uh, decided to take me on the kangaroo tour, the 94 oh. kangaroo tour, and that was, that was the last of the old tours. We left, I think, the last week of September, and we got back mid-December. And uh, yeah, 18 right. games on tour, and uh, that was a great experience. That was Mel Meninga's last yeah. ever. Was Anthony George Kong on that, the cameraman? Great story there. He <laughs> he actually came. Yeah, there yeah, he did. He wasn't part of the official team. Mel and him were going to do a documentary. You know, we're, we're all talking about the Michael Jordan documentary. Yeah. Well, they had one because the next year was that was the Super League War. And um, because Mel went to Super League, Channel 9 wouldn't give him the vision and all the other oh, vision, really? the AR, the, or, or the ARL, I should say. So that vision is sitting somewhere in his garage, and he took hours and hours of behind the scenes uh, in dressing rooms, back at the hotel, just hours of vision never seen. So I think if an- anyone knows Anthony George, I reckon it's his retirement project. Probably would. Oh, mate, I, when we were on those Wallaby tours, I just sit with Kong in his room for hours, go for coffee and just get him to tell me all those old um, kangaroo tours, mate. You know, Freddie Fitlove. Had some crackers. Oh, some absolute, yeah, some crackers, mate. And obviously, Frank, you lived it. But going to Manly, mate, how old were you when you went to Manly? I just turned 30, and so I was obviously still young, and there's still some players older than me. So I, I joined the coaching staff in 95, and it was, it was a great era. We had three consecutive grand finals, but it was also a really tough era because right in the middle of that was the ARL Super League War, which was tough time for rugby league. And then, unfortunately, the club started to split, and then a couple of years later, lo and behold, we uh, merged with our own rival, the North Sydney Bears, to become the ill-fated Northern Eagles. Probably a chapter in my life we might just really quickly go over very quickly. Yeah, no, we won't, t- we won't touch on that one, Frank. Uh, both, yeah, no, we won't go back to the Bears days. So you roll into Super League. Obviously, that was just a ridiculous upheaval for the game. What are some of the better, I suppose, some of the better things? that We all know the divisive nature of what Super League provided, but what, what are some of the better things that helped reshape the game coming out of 97 Super League? Well, I'm the, uh, the lucky recipient because I think the Melbourne Storm came out of it because what happened when the game did come back together at the end of 97, they closed down a school and franchise or team and they decided to stick a few of them in Melbourne and become the Melbourne Storm so uh, that's the greatest thing to come out of Super League in my opinion that was uh, so that was uh, John Rebo took over I suppose a franchise or license Chris Anderson first coach they did yeah so at the end of 97, they uh, they decided to... Uh, the yeah. game couldn't survive. There were two competitions going. Remember, we had a Super League competition and we had an ARL competition. Yeah. The game was just not going to survive. Came back together. John Rubo, who was the, the Super League CEO, basically, he, he was out of a job and... Um, he set up the Melbourne Storm and, um, yeah, the place has never looked back since, ever since 98. So what's your best Super League story? Who were the main architects in, in the signing? I mean, obviously we read about Gould, obviously Bozo. Were, were they the two main ones on the yeah, other side? Yeah, they were. I mean, and I think, uh, I mean, John Quayle, who uh, he was heavily involved with, he was, he was an outstanding administrator, John Quayle. I mean, it's a shame um, he would be an ideal person to be our studio of our game now. And I, I'd love to see him on the commission. Oh, he's the best administrator I've ever had him to do with anywhere in the world. Um, yeah, you know, right. he, he was behind, you know, he, he organised Bozo and, and Phil Gould and, and a few of the others, but had some pretty good brain, brain trust behind him there at the ARL. So you touch on uh, on John Quayle. I mean, what sets him apart from, you know, the gazillion CEOs that we've seen in Clubland and NRL, you know, headquarters in the last sort of 15 years? Oh, I think Vision's his biggest quality condo. I think he, um, you know, he's the bloke that brought Tina Turner. Uh, he's the bloke that expanded the game and brought, you know, the Western Reds, the Orphan Warriors, the second Brisbane team. And also, uh, 
Cowboys, that vision was his big one. He had the ability to, you know, had a certain bit of an eye fit, you know, you find it, but he had a great relationship with his staff and had a great relationship with the club. So, yeah, I just think his management skills were just second and none. Mate, just before we get on to, um, obviously, your time in rugby, Bozo, mate, um, obviously Bob Fulton we're talking about. I suppose as a player coming through, I always was told about how good a talent ID he had. He was exceptional at that sort of thing. Um, as well as being a coach, what was your experience with Bozo over your time at Manly? Oh, he's a winner. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I've just recently watched a web seminar on what they call the traits of serial winning coaches, those coaches who continually win. And one of those is just this pathological desire to win. And, and he was a winner. He, like, he, he was competitive in everything he did, whether it was just, you know, trade or just playing cards or drinking games, he had to win. Yeah, that was the thing that stuck. He, he just, you know, he was just incredible. Just wanting to win probably was his greatest stroke. Frank, has that been a synonymous character trait, I suppose, with every one of the guys you've been involved with? I suppose you list them, Slater, Cronk, Smith. Is that trait similar between all of those boys and Craig Bellamy to an extent? Yeah, it is, Barrett. There's probably, there was a few other traits there that they're all linked. One's an unwavering, you know, they must have high standards even if they do. Definitely that, you know, that winning. Some of them, I don't, they don't know why they need to win, but they just, you know, they've got to win. But the other part too, I think, with those, it's just fantastic great leaders and I think that's what sets them apart from so many other people so why why did you end up down at the storm like you I mean you had some good times in Manly success you know you've obviously had a great relationship with the fifth immortal Bob Fulton who comes knocking the funny one Alexander uh, was when the storm formed in 98 actually Chris Anderson offered me the assistant coach's job and um, and there was still a little bit of bad blood between Super League and, and ARL and Manly was a, obviously a very strong ARL club and, and even though Melbourne Storm weren't in the Melbourne Storm they were had a lot of Super League people Chris Anderson John Reba so I actually knocked it back and um, and it's something I regretted for years because I remember two years later Manly was, was going to fold and become the Northern Eagles didn't even know I've had a job and I was at ANZ Stadium watching Melbourne Storm two years later when it went a Premiership, and I thought that was that was a great stuff up that one. So it wasn't years later. Then I, that's when I took on, I went overseas and, and I coached rugby. So when it was time to come home, uh, when the opportunity came. It was just through uh, Greg Breton. I thought, actually, which he spoke about the Rugby League Academy. Greg was yeah. working down here and he said, look, there was a job going. And he rang me up and Frank Stanton, a former Manly CEO that I worked under, a great man, Frank, a little bit further up from New Blake, up at Benora Point, but he lives up there. He was on the board and, yeah, right. and they uh, they said, mate, come down. And that was the end of, just when I got back from Rugby Union at the end of 07 and haven't looked back since, but 2010, yeah, that was, uh, it's, been a, it's been a great journey. Frank, just touching on your time in rugby, mate, obviously there's been a lot going on today in the game. We won't go into that, but just your experiences in the game, mate. I saw that you were even you're involved with the Springboks leading into 2003, Clermont of Young in France. You've been all around the world there. Give us an insight into that, mate. Yeah, I love my time in rugby. I really, I had no background in rugby. I think I played uh, at school. I played one game of rugby, and I played inside centre, and I, I played inside a five eight. That unfortunately wasn't like you, Barry. Just like all he wanted to do was kick, and I never saw the ball. So I, I never went back to rugby. It was a shame because what I know about rugby now and, and my time, I would have loved to have played, but he turned me off. So. Um, but it was actually our, our good mate up there from Lennox Head, Scotty Wiseman, was the one that got me into rugby. I came across Wise in the early 90s at the academy. He was starting up at Castle Hill and he needed to do a, a prat like for his hours for his course. We ended up doing a couple of months with us and uh, we just became good mates and I followed his career and then he got into coaching. And the Waratahs used to train, I think it would have been before your time there, Derek. Yeah, just like him at Narrow. And, yep. and they used to train them and then, you know, I'd get involved and then Wisey. 
suppose it's got an opportunity to go to Clermont. And, and the other, sorry, the other connection was, was obviously a big connection was Tim Lane. Through Rob McQueen, I got involved just to, to have a look at the, the Wallabies and we exchanged a few ideas. And, and then Tim was coaching in Clermont, then went to South Africa and they were looking for some coaches and recommended Wisey and myself. And, and that's how we got started, Clermont. And that's how I got to start with Springboks was through Tim, at the, uh, through his role. So it's amazing what connections do. So you knocked the storm back in 98, which I must say I wasn't aware of. I mean, you said it was uh, you were kicking yourself for a couple of years, obviously floating around France and South Africa. So was it Craig that came knocking? No, well, I, I didn't know Craig real well. We knew each other. And uh, he was actually, when I left Manly or, or then became the Eagles, he was the assistant coach for the Broncos and I was the assistant coach at Manly. And we both used to run the messages for each other's teams. So we basically came across each other just on game day. So, um, no, as, as I said, I got a, I got a couple of calls from people I knew at the Storm, Greg Brentnell, someone named John Donoghue, who's been doing the wrestling here for a while. I, I knew John because I brought him over to do some work with Northampton when I was at Northampton States. Do the Storm wrestle? Oh, sorry, no, we're, sorry, called contact training. Oh, sorry. contact, yeah, right, okay, yeah, right. No, I'm glad we got that clear for our listeners. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's um, the t- tackling case, sorry. Um, <laughs> so but they said there's, there's a job going, and um, yeah, so I put my name down, and I was lucky enough to get the job, but as I said, it's been... So that first job in 07, what, what was the actual role? Uh, no, it was a brand new role, actually. They, the recruit manager had left, and the, it was a, an old-fashioned footy manager, Dean Lance. He'd gone to the Cowboys, and they decided to create this general manager of football, very what they were doing in the AFL, which back then in the rugby league, they, I think it was Peter Parr at the Cowboys, about the only one doing it. Now every club's got a general manager of football. So it was that really brand-new role, and just basically someone to come and work the coach and oversee the whole footy department. And, um, yes, yeah, so I've been doing that since I've been here in November 2007. It's interesting you've got Paul Bunn there now in a recruitment role. Um, Bunny was pretty influential in my early days at the Broncos back in um, 03, 04, 05. I used to go over to his house a fair bit as a young fellow. He had semi semi Thiday and Neville Costigan living there. There were some pretty wild parties there. Mate, how's Bunny been influential in his role there? And is it similar to what you were doing back in that role originally? No, he's done a great he's brilliant. Uh, Bunny's been fantastic. Uh, I've had two recruit managers while my time here. The first one, a fellow by the Darren Bell, also from Brisbane, a Queensland. Uh, Billy. He started the same day I did in 2007. He unfortunately really sad because he, he had a heart attack at uh, the end of 11 and, and, and passed away. And then Bunny started in 2012. So, um, yeah, but Bunny basically, he, you know, the vast majority of players you've seen out in our setup now, he, he's responsible for that. He's got a fantastic guy. He's got a great network. As you, you know, Beric, he's, he's, you know, certainly up in, you know, places like Rockhampton, where he's from, and all those places, you know, we've picked up players like Cameron Munster, picked up Christian Wells from Brisbane. Tim Blasby is no longer with us. He was a player that he got from Rockhampton as well. So he's been able to pick up quite a few Queenslanders for us, and we've always had a strong connection with Queensland. Can never have and, enough um, Queenslanders, can you? <laughs> so, uh, no, he's, he's done a great job. And, uh, yeah, he's, like I said, I've been with us since the uh, beginning of 2012 and, and been a part of two premierships and, and a couple of other ones. So, he's, yeah, he's an important part of our, our football staff. Frank, what is it with Melbourne? You recruit better players. I, say, I don't know whether you recruit better players or you develop better but you were one of the first clubs to really target New Zealand um, and how you went about doing that you were exceptional at it and you've only just carried that forward were you ever in a recruitment role there and what do you what are sort of the key things you go about in recruiting young players yeah look it's a, it's a great question because in terms of recruitment is we um, Craig Bell and myself had the final say in, in the recruiting so basically how it worked Paul and proves that would have been Darren Bell is they're, they're the ones out there looking around watching videos and, and so on they've got Billy did and Bunny's the same. They know exactly the type of player that Craig wants 
obviously we all want talent, but the number one character is, is the big thing. So probably Paul and his people, very analytically based. They've got a fantastic system. They've got how they pick players through stats. But eventually he weeds them out and he brings the ones that he thinks that Craig and I will, will like. And then we basically that we watch some vision, but we'll want to meet the player and get an understanding of what he's like. Well, then we'll ring around. You know, if it's an older player, clubs and people that have worked with him, getting an idea about his, about his character. Uh, and if they've got a few issues in their game that we think we can fix up, we'll take it as long as they've got character that they're, they're good, uh, high work ethic. Craig really wants his players mentally strong. And the big one and a hard one to judge is players that are prepared to buy into it, into the culture and the way we do things. So, yeah, they're the three that, you know, Bunny and his team look for and, and, and bring to us. And, and, and some of them have got like faults in their game. And, and some of them, some players have got a few issues too. Uh, but if they're funneling in with good people and they've got those three traits, you know, we usually take a punt on them. Is that a lot of due diligence making, you know, a gazillion phone calls to, you know, previous junior coaches and, you know, school principals and PE teachers and, you know, get to the bottom of the fact of they have work ethic, they're potentially, you know, I suppose the no dickhead policy, I know Melbourne Storm are big on that. Is that the process? The younger players are hard because we probably haven't got the same type of network and that's why we yeah. rely on Paul Bunn and his team to do it. Once they start playing NRL or they play State Cup, you've got enough contact of people to ring and get a bit of an idea exactly uh, what, what they're like. But yeah, it is. And, and, and look, as I said, if someone's made mistakes, if they're a good person that's just made a few bad decisions, you look into it uh, as long as they don't make the continued mistakes. But, you know, rather than just getting a bad egg, it's, it's the hardest thing. I mean, any, anyone can look at stats in terms of their, their metres gained, tackles made, how fast they are, how strong they are. That's pretty easy. It's finding out the character of a person. We've also got a couple of bad ones wrong over the time too, or, or ones that just haven't worked out, but they don't all come out. But, but generally, we've, we've been quite fortunate. Who would you throw down as uh, the biggest one that you sort of regret that you didn't recruit? Oh, good question. I'll probably flip that into a, in, into one that would probably take a while, while I think about that. We're actually poor. Apart this, from uh, pod- Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't think we could afford it. Berwick was off our like, no. we had trouble with our salary cap. We, yeah, Frank, you got, Frank, we, we, Frank, you couldn't have afforded him. It's a bit, a bit like when you when you shop one day. You, we don't shop at David Jones or you know those bigger stores. We go to the you know the Target. So Frank, I'm like glad we've got that clear on this podcast. <laughs> so our listeners, let's get this right. Frank Panisi from the Stormers. He's come up with the best quote for this week. So sorry, back to the question. Who, who was who, who was the big one that you reckon you missed out on? That you sort of think, oh, jeez. Uh, well, I only missed that because he's still he's only a kid at the moment. But and, he, and unfortunately, the poor young bloke uh, is a young bloke. We're, we're chasing really hard. We were the first to identify him as a rugby league kid by the name of Billy Smith, a rugby union oh. kid. He um, the Roosters end up getting getting him. So um, and he's the one they they earmarked to replace Latrell Mitchell this year. Yeah, but he, yeah, he did his, he did his ACL unfortunately. We brought him down, brought him down with his father. Great kid, great kid. He's got a, had a rugby league background, a bit like himself. Eric played both as a young bloke. So that, that's handy and uh, had a good physique, great character, great family. And we thought we had him, but um, he decided to stay in Sydney and go to go to those dirty roosters. You just mentioned roosters and a guy who's had um, rugby league and union background. Cooper Cronk, mate. Coming through the Clydesdales when I was involved, I got to play Norse on a number of occasions. And I was just comparing with Condo the other day. You had Greg Inglis coming through at the same time and Cooper Cronk in the same team. You couldn't have got two guys in opposite ends of the scale in terms of what you'd call natural ability. Cooper, you know, his work ethic, and then you've got Greg, who to this day is still the most naturally gifted footballer I've come across. Mate, in your time with both of them, what was your experience? How, do, how does a guy, two guys end up at the end of their careers being almost compared to be immortals? 
Oh, look, it was an absolute pleasure being involved with those two and also, you know, of course, the other big two and, and, and Billy and, and, and still involved with Cameron. It was, yeah, sometimes I think I think it's just... Jesus. He's <laughs> 49 next year, but never, <laughs> anyway, he's, uh, um, I've been really blessed. And, I do, and for a couple of reasons, I think everyone can see that the natural talent they have as, as players, but it's probably two things behind, not so much GI, and I will get to GI, like he probably talent-wise, he out of the four, he's the most naturally gifted of all by a country mile. In terms of doing extras and, and putting a massive amount of work to watch the other three, how much work they put in behind the scenes, it's been phenomenal. The thing with GI, there'd be some games that you wouldn't even know without this. Like it was kind of the message you come out from the coach, tell GI to get his hands on the ball. But I'll tell you one thing about GI, every time we needed a big play, we needed something to happen, you could count on GI. He was a big game, and the big games, you look back at the semi-finals, grand finals, he's the one that used to get man of the match, scores the important tries, state of origin. He lived for the big occasion. He was just incredible and he knew it when to turn it on. But if we're playing a team down the bottom on a cold Saturday night Olympic Park, he just went through the motion <laughs> unless we were doing it tough and then he'd do it. Whereas probably Cooper was Mr. Consistent. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're playing a big game or a team down the bottom, it doesn't matter if it was a half empty Olympic Park or a full house today in that stadium, you knew exactly what you were going to get. They were the two differences. Great, great players they both be involved in. So in your role, I mean, unfortunately, the storm went through the salary cap, um, you know, debacle and whether it was handled, you know, in the right manner by the NRL and the fine and everything else that came with it. Did you have to break the news to GI or how did that come about when obviously you had, you know, Billy, Cameron, Cooper, GI would have definitely being your top four players and you had to be under the salary cap the next year and off goes Greg, unfortunately. But you've done your homework, haven't you? This, this is a great story. I don't know. I don't, unless you either just got lucky or uh, there was someone very close who told you the story. We're actually, just before this podcast, we just spoke to the players because it's 10 years exactly to the salary cap. And if you remember, they've called it the unity photo, yeah, where they all well, they all walked there behind track. So that was 10 years to the day. So today being April 24, well, that's when it happened, 10 years ago. So we just had a plan out, hook up to all our players. We had a bit of an Anzac Day theme just because it's obviously we're not playing on Anzac Day and we usually play on Anzac Day. We, it's important that we still remember the day and, and we tell the players, you know, to always respect that even though we're not playing tomorrow. And then Craig spoke to the team about that famous photo and about all, all that occasion. And as you quite correctly say, Sunday was that we knew that we're a fair way over the cap the following year. So as the year went on, you know, we basically losing those bigger players to get under the cap for the following year. And, and of course, in those days, it was called the Big Four. And everyone, you know, speak. And then we just looked at our, for one crazy moment, Craig and I, when we were doing our planning, we, we tried to keep the Big Four 2011, but we were slowly working out that um, there wasn't going to be too much to be left around them. Right? There'd be the Big Four <laughs> and not many left around them. No, so, and it was, you know, but who do you... Who well, do you, there would have been a few boats and a couple of investment properties <laughs> and... <laughs> we go there, Kondo. Okay. Right. Anyway, and then... And then it was actually GI. We were playing the Bulldogs in Adelaide of all places. The Bulldogs put their game there. And, and there'd been whispers that the Broncos were keen on, on GI. And he's got a bit of a connection with Brisbane, spent a bit of his, his youth there. And, and his girlfriend was from Brisbane. And he saw me on the bus leaving Amy Park in the morning. He said, oh, can I see you when we get to Adelaide? And as soon as he said that, I, I know what this is about. And um, so then I didn't see him when we arrived to the hotel. And then I got a call from him. He said, mate, can I come and see you in your room? Yeah, he came up and he, and he you know, he was just nervous. As it, he, and it pretty much tough to leave, you know. He, he came as a 15-year-old to the, to the storm, and uh, he said, oh, I'm going to sign with the Broncos. And uh, I said, okay, mate. I said, he said, oh, could you tell Craig? And 
crushed it on not doing that, mate. But they were still do, but they had an exceptionally close relationship. Like it was, you know, Craig, uh, you know, GI when he came, he was a wild and, and uh, curious young man, and, and Craig really took him under his wing and really helped him. So they were really, really close. And uh, the GI just couldn't tell him so he wanted me to tell him. I said, listen, mate, I'll be with you, but um, you're, uh, you know, you're going to tell him. I think it's important, mate. And so I called Craig. I said, mate, you got a minute? Can you come down to the room? And as soon as he walked in, he saw GI. I knew it was about. And it's amazing to see a big, athletic bloke like GI. You know, he was very emotional telling a case that he needed to cut the bond, and it was there. It was a, it was a really emotional time. And, um, you know, they both handled brilliantly well, and, and GI continued playing the season out well for us, you know, for no points. And, but, yeah, that was, that was a special moment for me to be involved. I'm watching this great coach and this great player who was in such a great relationship just, uh, you know, break, break the news. He made the decision to leave. So we never actually had to break up the top four or tell one of them. Was, you know, he did it himself. And as it turned out, he never got to play with the Broncos because um, he ended up at South. So I don't know what happened after that. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a special moment, one of those emotional moments that, uh, you know, went, went along for an incredible season. It was 2010. I'd imagine you guys, I mean, yourself especially and Craig, must have been pretty proud when you saw him in 14, the way he played in that final series and the fact that he, he saw some su- success after he moved on from uh, from the storm. Oh, massively. You know, for players like Billy and Cameron and Ryan Hoffman, Ryan Hinchcliffe, players that played in either the A7 or the A9 premierships, they end up winning premierships in 2012 and, and a few of them in 2017. But there's quite a few players who played in those two premierships that were, that, that were taken away off us. They didn't get to win another premiership and, and would have been a, you know, a terrible thing for GI to go through his career. So for him to taste premiership again, especially the a big club like South Sydney after so many years and be such an instrumental player. I spoke about him playing in big games. I mean, how good was he on grand final day 2014? That, that was him. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, mate, you've got a saying, I believe, in the storm, the standards you walk past are the standards you accept. What does that mean on a day-to-day basis, in a day-to-day basis at the storm there? Yeah, we're actually, we got that from Alistair Clarkson about, uh, about 2012, I think, because Alistair... Uh, Clarko and Craig have got a pretty good relationship. So we, he's, he's been in a few times to come and speak to the players. And basically what it means, we, we've got it on our walls and, and, the, and the coaches and all the staff have got it in their office. It's basically, if you walk past whether someone's wearing the wrong kit, if you walk past it, you're saying, I'm, I'm fine with that. If you're out training and a bloke cut, cuts the corners doing a conditioning drill and you don't say anything, whether you're a player or a coach and you let it go, someone's not doing something defensively quite right, you let it go. You're basically saying as a coach or a leader of a player, we're happy with those standards. And we ask, are you happy with those standards? And the answer is no. If you're not happy with those standards, say something. Now, how you say something differs. If you've obviously got a role of leadership responsibility and you can be a little bit tougher. If you're just a teammate, you know, there's a, there's a certain way you, you say it. But if you see some, someone do something that's not the right standards of our standards, do something about it to either help them fix it up or say something. So that, that, that's what it means for us. So, Frank, you touched on that there, your leadership group. It's renowned in the sporting um, landscape. I know we spoke to Wisey last week, and he said, you know, of all the teams he's been with around the world, Melbourne Storm have the best culture and leadership group set up he's um, encountered. What is it within your leadership group that sets you guys apart? Uh, I, I think those three made a huge difference. I think, you know, uh, Smith, Slater and, and Cronk, definitely. It's, it's funny, probably about 2014, and we could you could kind of feel the things flipping a little bit. We, we, we made the finals. We played a home final against the Bulldogs. We got whacked. It was inconsistent year. And we thought, you know what, we've got to do something different here because things are starting to just slip a bit. And we found out as great a lead as they were, Slater, Smith, Cronk, 
Uh, Ryan Hoffman is a great leader, but he left to go to the Warriors in the end of 14, led Ryan Hinchcliffe. But besides them, what happens when, and, and you'll, you'll know this, you know, from all the you know, great teams you've played in, as good as they were, because they were so good, everyone else just stood back and said, oh, you know, Cooper will say that, Smithy will say that, Billy will do that. And the rest of the group were just, so there was a real gap, a real um, void of the next leaders coming through. And, and as you know, Barry, leadership is quite tiring. So we were putting everything on those three players and it was affecting their form, that origin. They were having fam- they had their own family. So we needed to spread the relationship, uh, the, the leadership. So we did something at the end of 2014, which I think has been a bit of a turning. Well, Nick Maxwell, who's an AFL player who captained Collingwood to the 2010 Premiership, he once came to speak to our players about leadership and about you know coming through the ranks as a player who didn't have much, who wasn't highly talented, of course he had talent, and had to work hard, and he really left the, his message and his theme resonated. So he's been our leadership coach ever since. So um, we've actually identified players we think have got leadership skills, and, and Maxi basically helps them become good leaders. So, yeah, we've really had to expand our base of leaders. We just couldn't rely on having three brilliant leaders. We knew at once some stage they're going to leave. So we, we've developed a, a pool of leaders to, to spread that, that load of responsibility about. So you come out of, I suppose, you know, maybe for an outsider looking in, you sort of reshape. I suppose you had to reshape the roster after the salary cap issues. You go into into the teens. You win the comp in 2012. Um, lots of success, 16, 17, 18. Cooper moves on. Billy retires. Cam's still there. I mean... If you go to sort of the mission statement, I suppose, of the Melbourne Storm, I mean, how do you how do you continue the success and the stability and everything that the Storm has built? Yeah, look, it's a great question. I just think it's um, I think to have someone like Craig Billing who's so driven, you know, he's sixty odd years of age, sixty one. Um, his coaching is, is, you know, I've been I've been with him for twelve years. I, he's still coaching as good as I've ever seen. He's still got the fire in the belly. And you've got him and someone like Cameron Smith, and, and basically, you know, Cameron Smith gets up at our presentation dinner last year and asked him, "Are you going to play on?" He said, "Look, I've still got the fire in the belly. I will, and I've still got the fire in the belly." So I just think when you've got two strong leaders like that that are just so driven to do well year in year out, it just makes it. It makes it. Uh, I think it starts with them, and I think basically because they they demand the high standards from everyone else, whether it's the other coaches, the other players. And they just bring everyone for the ride. And, and, and you know, it's just, uh, I, I think it's all about being driven by your leaders and, and, and keeping up to those high standards. Mate, it's almost Brady Belichick like in terms of Smith and Bellamy. Now, mate, you've done a lot of personal development tours over to the States. And I, um, I loved you. I loved you when you've heard you talk about Pete Carroll and Pat Riley. Is there a, is there a personal development tour you've been on and, or one sort of interview over in the States that just stands out for you? I've been lucky, and credit to the club, you know, for a long time, and I don't know uh, even our own, uh, at our club, and, and as well as people from other clubs call it a bit of a, a junket that we go on every <laughs> year, and, and, we, and we go for the ride, but we, we know how important it is, and we've picked them, you know, the brains of so many great people around the world, you know, whether it's uh, in the UK and, and uh, in Europe, or it's, you know, we've been quite a few times to the States, is, uh, that, you know, there's been, there's, there has been quite a few, and even recently, the last one, um, I was in New York for a period of time. I actually had a couple of months off and I was over and the Craig came over and we spent a full day at the New York Fire Academy, basically where they, they train their young, their young people. So again, you're picking it up. It's probably think the uh, probably more in basketball of all places in the NBA. Was, we were with the Miami Dolphins for a week. We, got a, we had a good contact there and we got the, the red 
carpet uh, at the Dolphins and, and we went to watch the uh, Miami Heat but we were able to have a bit of a tour before. We're both not massive NBA or basketball fans so, but, and so the, the, the GM of the Miami Heat going back to 2013 when they had their big three and LeBron was playing. So we knew who LeBron was obviously in the other two but, and the GM's going, us, oh mate, the president would like to meet you and I said, oh, okay. So we went up and we got from the president's office and mate, it was palatial, you Beautiful you know, lounges and massive views over Miami, and then talking away, said, "You know, you know how most presidents, you know, they might be great business people. They don't know massive about coaching, but this bloke was so switched on." And, and after about ten, fifteen minutes, I've kind of looked at Craig, and he's looked at me. And I said, "This is Pat Riley." So we had no idea. We'd heard of Pat Riley, but didn't know what he looked like. He's got the slick hair back. He's got the rings on, and it was phenomenal. So we spent half an hour with Pat Riley in his office, and. Unfortunately, didn't tape it, but uh, yeah, that, that, that was pretty special. So obviously, when this podcast goes viral, um, the ball and all will be on the next junket. We'll have to <laughs> we'll, we'll, have, we'll have to detail the next the, the, the next uh, professional development trip. I think, Frank. Well, either that or we come to Lennox Head, so that that'll be not a bad little junket as well up there. I'm sure there'd be some wise men up there that uh, we could always you always pick up something, boys. Always something from someone. So Craig's 61. He's made it quite public that this is potentially his last contract. Who's earmarked? Like, who would you see as sort of the potential couple of people that could walk into the shoes of uh, of the sort of legacy that he's left at the Storm? I reckon the last two contracts he said the same thing. You know, so I still think he's going to be here when we're all gone. I think him and Cameron Smith will be a coach for about 70 years old and the other bloke will be playing in his 40s. Oh, so uh, you think I, they're going to follow Wayne? <laughs> I'm not convinced Gray's going to finish for a start. And I think what this, this current uh, coronavirus period is showing, he's, he's pretty bored and he's waiting to go back to training. So I think he's yeah, got a right. bit of a taste every time. So, but no, look, it, eventually he's going to have to finish. I, I would love to see a former one of the, either a current assistant. I mean, Jason Rolls, is, you know, is in, is in this, this job, even though we're going to lose him to England Rugby Union at the end of the year. But, uh, but you know, there's a, a, a great stat, boys, at the moment in the NRL. There's, of the 15 opposition coaches that Craig will go against this year, six are former of his assistants. You've got Adam O'Brien, Stephen Kearney, Anthony Seabold, Brad Arthur, yeah. Michael McGuire. Um, so there's a pool of people. So my purse, I'd like to see an ex-Storm assistant coach come back. So there's a big pool there to choose from. You're plenty to choose from, mate. Just in terms of bringing it back to today's, um, the times, obviously COVID-19, how are the players coping? And are they pretty excited to get back on the field? Yeah, they're, they're, they're just like kids. You know, boys, they just they want to. They're pretty. I think probably the first couple of weeks they didn't mind and stopped training or whatever, but they're just, they're just bored. Uh, we're very confident they're going to look after themselves uh, fitness-wise and everything else. We've just tried to stay connected with them through different things, like we do once a week called Happy Hour. Uh, they, they get together on, on a Friday afternoon through the you know Zoom, and they've got their little groups during the week, so just staying connected. But, yeah, there's a there's a real spring in their steps, so it's just it's a bit frustrating at the moment, just waiting to know exactly where we'll definitely be made for or won't. But, no, they're just keen to play. They're, they're just big kids when it's all said and done. So you'll be back at training pretty soon, May 28. I just see a headline um, that uh, it's locked in for May 28, locked in, NRL breaks bread with broadcast partners, and it's it's on the go, so it's going to happen. So I'm not sure where that's come from this afternoon, but it's going to happen by the middle of June. You'll be back into the comp. Amy Stadium, great setup. That's where your home base is. You've obviously got room for the ARU to move down there. <laughs> 
No, we got we, we got we got the rebels down here. We uh, we share the same facility with the rebels, so no, we're we're happy with the rebels. We well, I think can you rub else? some magic off on them, mate. I <laughs> think the way they, they'll probably only need one floor and probably about ten seats. As long as you got one for Wisey, Dave Rennie, and a few others, I'll probably be right. I, I mean, right. you guys have the bubble. You know what you guys call the bubble, which the ARU obviously don't have. Um, so I think the uh, the culture at the Storm, you guys could probably teach the ARU a heap. Where would you start? Uh, well, I think they've got some good people. And, all, you know, and Whitey's a good mate of ours. And we have a good chat with Whitey. But, like, he, he's as good a coach I've ever worked with anywhere, either rugby league or rugby union. Did a fantastic job with the England team. And the, the bloke they brought over is head coach. Uh, Wayne Smith's a great mate of Craig and myself. And the, the All Blacks legend coach. And he was an All Black himself. He's got a huge rap on, on Dave Rennie. He, he worked with him at, um, at the Chiefs. A uh, number of years ago, and uh, he's got a yeah, he's got a big rap on him. So uh, I, I think you know, uh, and they've got obviously other people involved as well. So just those two, bringing those two back uh, for a start is going to make a big difference. Well, fingers crossed, Frank. We can keep them, mate, and they can actually do their job in coaching. But uh, mate, thanks a lot for today. I yeah, really it's been uh, it. it's been yeah. really really enjoyable and really good to catch up and see where you've been and where you're going. And I think uh, we're going to have to have a chat before that plane takes off for. I, my vote is the US. Yeah. What do you reckon, Barnsley? Yeah, I agree. I don't know. Maybe where's Brady going? Bucks. The Bucks. Hey, Have you, you met Tom Brady? No, that's one. No, unfortunately, it's one place we just can't get into. We've got to most oh. places, but the Belichick runs the site. He doesn't let any visitors in at all during the season. Um, we could have opportunities going pre-season, but their pre-season is right in the middle of our season. So uh, no, that, that's one place. Unfortunately, we, we didn't get to. But, is that, uh, is that your number one, Brady. Frank? Is that your number one you could get to if you go to any organisation in the world? Is that is that the top of the iceberg? Tip of it. Top of the iceberg. <laughs> Absolute tip of it. Yeah. So we're going to still aim, but unfortunately. Doesn't have the same feel as Brady Belichick, but in a Belichick still one would like to see. So you never know, but it might be a while, but we'll get there somehow. Thanks, mate. Really oh, appreciate it. All today. the best for the rest of the year. Awesome. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the Ball and All podcast, mate. When I was asked, I was just quite a privilege. So you've either got a lot of knockbacks, or um, I don't know what. But I, I, I generally, mate, I've enjoyed it chatting with you, and, uh, and I, I'm going to be a regular listener. You might get a base down here. You've got obviously Lennox, and I hear Dubbo is really kicking. You've got a big supporter base in Dubbo. Oh, huge supporter base in Dubbo, as yeah, Woody said. Yeah, you good. know, beachside suburb of Lennox. <laughs> And you couldn't get three different places, could you? Lennox, Dubbo and Melbourne have that for three different <laughs> Well, actually, on that, we'll finish up. We'll, we'll see how good a judge you are. Who is the one guy in the Melbourne Storm that's going to stand out by the time we come around to the finals that the Ball and All podcast is going to be desperate to interview? Uh, Only one. Always go for speed, Ryan Pappenhausen. Yes, okay. And actually, one being, but, you know, Beric, his last year, he had a bit of a quiet year last year. He came on the scene a couple of years ago with exploded. So we asked him, Bonavalu, his oh. last year before it, he goes, you're red. Um, so yeah. I think he's going to finish with a bang as well. Like he, like I said, a bit of a quiet year last year. Yeah. Expect him to finish on a bang before he goes to, well, to rugby. Frank, thanks for everything you've done for him, mate, because we are stoked to get him. And the uh, the Reds are on the up. So up the Reds and... Uh, Welcome, Suliasi Vinavalu. Who's he going to be playing for? Queensland Reds, mate. Oh, that, that, oh the rugby will still, still be going. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so. Thank Thanks, you, Frank. Frank. Much appreciated, mate. We'll catch up soon. My pleasure. Thanks very much. <laughs>